Hey guys, welcome to the Neglected Podcast. This podcast is not to change your mind, but to invite you into somebody else's narrative. This is a podcast to give a voice to the neglected. It is also an opportunity for all of us to engage. Welcome to the Neglected Podcast. Um, I am your host, Giovanna, and I am here with the lovely Miss Diane. Um, say hi, Diane. Hi, everyone. Great. And so I'm excited about having this conversation with her today. Just a quick thing on how we know each other. I actually met you um, through volunteering at City Church Red, which, as most of you know, we record at City Church. So City Church Red is our outreach center, and I met her and her family there. I'm very excited to talk about your story and share it with our listeners. So to start, Diane, um, just tell me a little bit about you, where you're from, your family history, all that jazz. Okay, so I was actually born and raised in South Carolina, just across the border from Savannah, um, Port Royal, um, or Beaufort, as Mm -hmm. I think most people more identify with that. Um, And I lived there until I was 15. And my dad is a pastor, so we moved to Savannah when I was 15 years old. Actually, we moved to Pooler. It just looks really different now. <laughs> no, y'all are fancy now. Pooler's yeah, very yeah, fancy. very fancy. I love it, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's my background from, like, how, you know, where we came from. Um, no, no, perfect. And how many siblings do you have? So I am the oldest of there are nine kids all together, so I have eight siblings, and I'm the oldest. Nice. Yeah. So how was that growing up with nine siblings? You know, it was I, honestly like it was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're all close, and we were close, and we had great times. You didn't really need to invite anybody extra over to have a, <laughs> have a party. Yes, no, because you yeah. are the party. Yeah. Yes, and it was you know we were never lonely. We literally you had a playmate. Somebody was willing to be your playmate, maybe a little too much, but yeah. No. Oh, that's yes, amazing. It, yeah, it was really fun. It was um, good. I look back and good memories. Yeah. Nice. Really good memories. And so. so, interestingly, we had a conversation a couple of weekends ago, which kind of is what led to this, because after talking with you and getting to know more about your story, I was like, whoa, that would be really cool to have <laughs> um, share on the podcast. But um, when we were all talking we were talking about ethnicity and mm-hmm. for you, what is the ethnicity that you identify with and versus what ethnicity are you technically, I guess. Okay. So let me think which one to start with first. I um, identify with, I want to say this first, I identify as a black woman, mm-hmm. but if um, you look at my like DNA, um, I am three quarters African American mm-hmm. and one quarter European, um, and it's. I told my husband so interesting because I don't look like three quarters mm-hmm. <laughs> African American, um, and most people don't assume that. So typically, when I'm asked what am I, I, I identify as biracial, um, and that helps people figure out where to place me. Yeah. But I see the world as a black woman. Yeah. yeah. When you say you see the world as a black woman, what do you mean? So I literally walk through my world as a black woman. Mm-hmm. Like I look at everything through the eyes of a black woman. So mm-hmm. because that's what I identify with and that's where I feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. What about at home? Is that something that was passed down to you to identify as a black woman? 
Yes, but I, yes and mm-hmm. no. So it's interesting. Um, I was raised in an all white environment. So what I consider black may not be, <laughs> may not be considered black by, um, you know, the next African-American woman sitting next to me may not. She may be like, yeah, that's not. Yeah. But to me, yes. I, and I guess I identified as black, as a black woman, even then, because I knew I was different. Mm. So that I, you know, I wanted to fit in somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah. So even at home growing up, yeah, I would say that I identified. Well, at the age of, say, maybe 13, I started definitely identifying as a black woman. Before that, no. Yeah. Before that, was it not a thing that crossed your mind? Yeah. or it wasn't a thing that crossed my mind until I maybe like 11 years old because someone else commented that I was not white. Mm-hmm. So I guess based on my skin color mm-hmm. growing up then, I didn't really see the difference between my skin color and the the kids that I played with at the little church school that I went to. Um, they were all white. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I assumed I looked just like them. I knew my hair was different, but wasn't really a big deal to no. me then. And I didn't know there was anything different about me until the kids made it a point to tell me. So yeah, yeah. no, that's, I think that's interesting because similarly for me, um, I think I've always known that I was black just from being raised in a black household. Mm-hmm. But I do remember moments where, as a child, it was pointed out to me how different my hair was, right, or how different my skin was mm-hmm. because, like, in the winter, you get ashy and yes. your hair. And back then, that was all about like too much grease in your hair. Um, <laughs> I don't know what was happening, but it was too much grease. So, like, your hair feels funny and yeah. your hair stands up. So. Yeah. I I remember those moments as being the moments where I was like, man, I'm different. Like, right. And similarly for me, like I went to a predominantly white school. Like we had some black kids, but mainly it was I was around white children. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was that moment of like, huh, I'm different. But it wasn't. I want to word this correctly. I think that for me though too is. I'm different, but then it it morphed into I don't like it. I don't like that I'm different. Right. I don't like that my hair is like this. Right. I don't like, and it was always centered around my hair and just my skin, like the yeah. weird things that my skin does that other people's skin yeah. doesn't do. So that's interesting because for me, it wasn't about the skin color because honestly, I can even remember people tanning in the summertime and they were darker than I was. Mm. <laughs> um, but it was about the hair. Mm. Um, and... My mom, I don't know if you wore like a chemical relaxer, but I did. Yes. Um, and so my hair naturally grows really long anyways. So I had my hair relaxed, but my mom kept it in two braids. And then for the life of me, I just wanted to have long, silky hair like mm. everyone else. And I couldn't understand why I, mine had to be in two braids. And um, here's a funny moment. I remember going and spending the night at someone's house and they all took their bath and they washed their hair. And so their mom was like, oh, you got to wash your hair. Well, (laughs) (laughs) we washed it, but um, she was like, I don't know how to comb it. Yeah, I don't know. Now I'm at a loss. (laughs) Yes. And um, it was hilarious because I think for that, that for me was the first time actually too that I wore my hair like out, down Mm. and not in the two braids. And I was like, I think I like the two braids better. <laughs> yeah. No, like now I don't know what to do yeah. now yeah. that's out of the braids. Yeah, and and I did, at the time I didn't know how like how to braid my own hair. Mm. So yeah, that was a very interesting experience. But yeah, yeah for me, I can, 
identify with you with the fact that I didn't like how I was. Mm. And that makes me really sad now to actually say that because yeah. no child should ever not like how God made them. No. Yeah. No, I, I think that, that is that's something too that I'm having the recognition of now. Of like, and I'm not here just to talk about hair, but I do think that for me that's been the journey of like I do certain things to my hair because I don't like it. But not only do I not like it, but like I and I don't want to ever blame anybody, but like I've been trained to believe that this is ugly. Right. Right. There's that a- that this isn't pretty. That yeah. that the coils are not pretty. That this is wrong and straight hair that's silky and long is what's pretty. And so for me, that's been the same thing of like, I can see back to when I was little and not, and I don't even think they were trying to pick on me. I think that kids just inherently don't understand what they don't understand. And they just kind of point it out. Like your hair doesn't look like mine, but it hits you, you know, and it, and it morphs into something else because then as you age, you know, if there's not understanding then it's still like centered around, well, why is your hair like that? Like, why do you wear braids? Why do you do that? You know? Right. right. So for you as a mom now, because you are married, and so you can talk about that. But as a mom now, how does that translate into how you're raising your daughter? Oh, that, it made a huge difference. Um, But what's interesting is my daughter wasn't the first one to point it out. It was my son's. Mm. So I... For the majority of time before I had my daughter, I wore my hair um, still chemically relaxed. And um, I didn't really realize they paid attention either. Like Mm -hmm. they're just little boys running around. Um, But I had my daughter and her hair was straight for a while. But as she got older, it curled up. And um, they were like, Mom, why isn't her hair straight like yours? Mm. Why isn't Jaden's hair straight? We want her to have straight hair. And it dawned on me that Number one, I wasn't going to put chemicals on a baby's hair. Um, But it dawned on me that I was also teaching my sons that not appreciating how my hair grew naturally. Mm. um, I was teaching them that there was something bad about my hair. Yeah. So I kind of changed it for them before my daughter could talk. But it also dawned on me, I didn't want my daughter to hate her hair. Mm. So I made the change first. And for me, it was a huge huge learning curve because Mm -hmm. I had straight hair my whole life. Um, And all of a sudden I had to figure out what to do with the big poof (laughs) that suddenly appeared. And um, it was very fluffy because it's, my hair was really long at the time. It was more than halfway down my back and that was a learning curve. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I, so I, I'm glad I did it because now my daughter, her hair, when when she could talk, I remember she wanted blonde, straight hair. And I was so glad I could sit down and tell her, you see how mommy's hair is curly? I love my curly hair because it's how God made me. And God made your hair that way. And we have matching hair. And you have beautiful hair. It's mm. good hair because God put it on your head. So yeah. it's good. Um, and I also was able to teach my sons, too, that there is nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with seeing a woman who has, you know, like they call my skin, peach skin mm-hmm. or brown skin, or dark brown skin, who has curly hair that it may be puffy or um, they call mine, they call mine bushy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it doesn't matter. 
God made our hair and we're, we are all beautiful. Um, and so just teaching them to love, love us naturally how God made us. Mm. And, um, I repeat the narrative every time I wash her hair, we go over it. And when I brush her hair, almost so, you know, we look in the mirror, um, and I do her hair and I tell her, um, this is how God made your hair and you are absolutely beautiful with your fuzzy, curly, kinky, brown, dark brown hair. Yeah, no, I love that because I think just as you were saying earlier that you identify as a black woman, I think that so much of the black woman's journey, at least from my perspective and what I'm experiencing, is teasing through the narratives that have been spoken over us. Yes. And I don't think, and this is never to blame my parents, but I think that what I'm noticing now is that my parents did not teach me that things weren't okay. That what was taught to me is that's going to happen. And it was, it was not, it wasn't really met with much empathy Mm -hmm. or sympathy. It was just, that's going to happen. Like, so that kid like scratched your arm just to make it ashy to draw something on you, which is bizarre when I think about it. But (laughs) that kid did that to you or someone made your braid stick up or put you or talked about the way your hair looked. Well, that's going to happen. But for you to now, and that's what I'm excited about too, of this generation of, of, black women and black mothers is speaking those things over their daughters and over their sons. And again, like there might have been people who grew up like that. That's just the way I grew up was that I didn't have anybody speaking a counter over me. I didn't have anybody speaking the other over me of like you being black, your skin is beautiful. Your hair is fine the way it is. You are fine the way you are. Like you don't have to fit into whatever counter narrative Mm -hmm. or you don't have to be, I don't know, rap star girlfriend body type, (laughs) but you can be whatever body type you are because I do think that 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 is one of the many struggles as a black woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really agree with that. I found um, in just mentoring black girls that that's one of their biggest struggles is being okay with their skin complexion and with the hair that God gave them. And I know, um, sometimes for them, it's very hard to hear that from me because of the way that I look Mm -hmm. and the way that my hair grows. And I'm conscious of that. Um, it's even hard for my daughter. Um, she's five and she sometimes tells me that she wishes she had my skin Mm. and I tell her, well, you know what's interesting? I wish I had your skin. But no. guess what? God didn't give either of us what we wished for. He gave us what he wanted us to have. Mm-hmm. And he wants us to be thankful for what he gave us. Um, and so, yeah, I walk through that narrative with my own children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, And again, I know that with time, acceptance will come. But sometimes you need help on your journey to accepting who you are, especially with, um, one of the things I think we don't realize kids just struggle with in America, especially like African-American kids, they struggle with representation, like in the media. And, and I want to point out that people are like, oh yeah, there's more representation now, but there is a certain type of representation right now. And it's, it veers to slightly lighter skin, straighter hair, slightly more European features. But where are the girls who have like the super kinky coily hair that has not been pressed or straightened or in perfectly long ringlets? We need representation. We need darker skin 
and more coiled hair to be mm. a fair representation um across you know to have all the colors across the spectrum mm-hmm. um being displayed and my kids pointed out boys and girls alike so yeah i mean we still have in my opinion we have farther to go as yeah. far as just representation it matters children are watching um a simple example i never really paid attention to um like children's books at the library but my kids will go and they will run to me like mom look we found a book and it has a girl that looks like me or it has a boy that looks like me Mm. that matters yeah covers of children's books sitting out it matters Mm -hmm. so yeah it's important yeah no i and interestingly like i know that that matters but I think something that I've been processing through is how to explain that to someone who might not understand why that's a thing. You know, like for some that they might look and say, well, well, I'm not in charge of the media. Like, why does that hurt you? Like, why does it hurt you to to see the same type of black person? Because I think that across my media, I do see that whole thing of like, where are the forcey girls at? Like, where is yes. the where is the representation for our types of noses? Yeah, because when it is again, like what you pointed out, um, and so why do you when you say it matters? Why do you think it matters for for us to see a spectrum represented? It matters because there, when there is not a spectrum represented, those who are not re- represented feel left out, mm. and they feel neglected and if you i've spoken to my kids because they've brought it up they feel like no one sees them they feel invisible Mm. and no one it if you've ever like went to a party and no one spoke to you at the party or came in you know said hi or whatever to you that feels horrible and you say that wasn't a good time i'm not going back to that event or um i won't hang out with those people again to feel invisible feels awful and kids are capable of of um what word do i want to use kids are capable of expressing that Mm. to you so yes that is why representation is very important yeah no i completely agree it it also just representation helps them accept who they are yes and um it doesn't pigeonhole them it allows them to see that anyone no matter the color of their skin can play with these toys or be aspire to be mm-hmm. um so yeah it matters yeah. and that's why i say it matters yeah no i love the, i love how you worded that i think that's why like i remember going to the theater for black panther i think that's why like just because it's like it was so it was beautifully made but mm-hmm. not only that but there was so many different hair types and there was no yes. hair and it yes. was just so much um just good stuff on the screen. It was. There. I remember just being struck by how beautiful the ladies looked in general. Well, the men and ladies, but um, I just was like, wow. There was so many colors mm-hmm. of skin um, and just body shapes. Mm-hmm. But the emphasis was that everyone was very, everyone was just beautiful just how they were. And I loved that. That to me was, I think that's what, like you, I went and I enjoyed it because there was representation, but I think I enjoyed it even more because we were seen in like just a powerful, normal, everyday role. And that mm. was important. 
important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I just enjoyed it for that sake mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So. And, I, and I never want to speak for everybody, but I would say just from my perspective and from what I experienced myself, I think that for those that are not in the minority, it just takes a little bit more just to kind of imagine. And, you, and even if you imagine, you're never going to get there. But just imagine what that feels like. Because I know for me, I just remember as a kid not having those things spoken over me. And and like it didn't dawn on me until I started doing my own work of like, well, why do I not like certain mm-hmm. aspects of myself? And why do I wish I had this or that? And it, it's so much of the messages spoken over us, which I think we are seeing a change in just how beauty is marketed yes. to women. Yes. But not having someone speak something else over me. And I actually remember being a waitress and I had a boss um, that just came up to me and said, I think your skin is so beautiful. And I just remember being like, and I remember that because that is the first time someone said that to me. Um, and so it is important. And I know that it can, I would imagine, like I try to think of what it might feel like to not have that story. I would imagine that maybe it sounds and feels nitpicky to say like you want spectrum and you want all that, but I would encourage just the inverse of, well, imagine being a a minority and not seeing yourself represented and not seeing yourself represented as pretty or as good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, To me, it would be um, maybe a a way to imagine it is imagine going to an African country um, where you are the minority. And the hair products are only for the Africans. So you go to a shop to get your hair, um, get a blowout like you get done here. And they look at you strange and like, what's a blowout? Mm -hmm. We can put some braids in there. Mm -hmm. And then you go to get makeup and it's all really dark. And it won't work. No no matter what you try, it won't work. Mm. Um, Or you go to get clothes and you, everything is built for people with lots of curves. Mm. That's what it's like to live without representation here. You have to make do and things don't always, it's like, it's just not quite right. And that's mm-hmm. how it is. I remember being young and, want, and wanting a baby doll that looked like me. And they were, at the time, I, we, I, Buford was a small town and there were only two choices, a really, really dark, dark um, black doll or a white doll with like blue eyes, but there was no middle mm. doll. There was no middle color. And I, fit in the middle mm-hmm. there was there wasn't that now there is like you go to the store mm-hmm. and you can get barbie in like every shade and i love that yeah um it's so cool i mean i'm grown i'm a grown woman but i'm like look, there's a barbie and she looks like me yeah <laughs> no i think that stuff matters so, yeah. because if you're overlooked in media then you're overlooked in other areas right yeah you are um when i was for the ages 14 through 17 i really struggled and i think that's what made me want to speak to my daughter, but not only to my daughter, to my sons, I really struggled very hard with the idea of loving who I was. Um, I cried a lot. Mm-hmm. I would like wake up in the morning. I guess I was going to bed thinking that if I slept hard enough and good enough, I would wake up and just be different. Um, I hit puberty and my body just <laughs> It went everywhere. And I was like, I don't like who I am because I didn't look like any of my friends next to me at this point. I was still, we were still, um, 
in South Carolina. And it was very few black families attending the church where we went and the school where I went. And I looked very different from everybody else at that point. And I cried because I couldn't wear the clothes they were wearing because they didn't fit my body type. Um, and my hair was doing all kind of crazy stuff. And it was, that was legitimately a dark time for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I cried because I wanted God to make me different or I just wanted to fit in somewhere. My art was already interesting. My, I knew my skin color didn't fit. I didn't fit with my, um, white counterparts. And I also didn't fit with my black counterparts and I didn't fit in anywhere. And it was so uncomfortable being in my own skin. And that experience, um, when I turned 18, it kind of settled out. I just realized, okay, like it's not going to change and don't focus on it. Um, figure out something else. And lucky for me was education. And I went into college and I had a great time, but I realized I didn't want my kids to grow up with that narrative. Um, I didn't know what color they would be born. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get lights colored kids or more Brown. Um, but I, no matter what, I want them to just love who they are and to love and be very comfortable in the skin they're in and with whatever body features, hair, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever body shape type God gives them. I just want them to be grateful and this not to be something that stops them in their journey and go through a a dark period like I did. Um, But to your point that if I imagine like if someone had spoken over me and said, Diane, you are beautiful how you are. Um, uh, severe acne and all. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that would have just so changed my my outlook. And if someone had told me your hair, don't worry about it. How it grows mm-hmm. is how God made it to be. He didn't make a mistake. I spent. I used to think God made a mistake when He made me, and that mm-hmm. something went about me went wrong when He made made me. And I. I didn't, I just so remember thinking when I have kids, I don't want them to feel that way. And at the time I didn't know what I was going to say to them, but, um, you live and you learn and you realize, um, when you have kids, God gives you like all the stuff just comes out of nowhere sort of, and you know, like the right things to say and, Mm -hmm. um, not all of them, but you know, in this area I did. Um, and I'm so grateful that she gets a narrative, not only she, my daughter, but my three sons get a different narrative for their life. Um, as far as how they look and you know their hair and just how they feel in general and about the world around them yeah no i think that that's so key because belonging is a core thing we all want to belong somewhere even if you're the most introverted person in the world you want to belong somewhere i mean we talk like the joke is you know like that subgroup that wants to be loners like hanging out with each other like you want to belong Mm -hmm. somewhere Mm -hmm. um And I think that that is something that I've just been doing so much digging into just racial reconciliation and minorities. And I think that that is something that black people navigate is where do I belong? Mm -hmm. Where do I fit? Um, And just the words that are spoken over us especially in today's culture. And I know that there's so much divisiveness about how the media portrays things, but you've mentioned just you're with your three sons. So for you, what is it like raising three black boys? (laughs) That's a hard question, but, um, well, 
it's it's so it's hard to answer it because there's so many emotions that flow through me when you ask me that question. It's exciting, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I am scared. Like there are sometimes um, I tuck them into bed and I go to make sure lights are turned out and no one's sleeping on top of Legos and things like that. And I look at them and I just like, God, just let them live. Like let them see adulthood because I see so many African-American boys who don't make it. Mm. And for me, I look at them and think they have so much promise and they have so much to offer the world. I know that. Like, I just look at them and think you're going to be, a leader you're gonna be a world changer I don't know what you're gonna what world mm-hmm. what part of the world you're gonna change but you're gonna change it and I know that because they've changed my life too so as an African-American woman the emotions that run through me are are fear sometimes I'm scared but then I'm excited and I'm hopeful yeah. for them as a, as a mom yeah mm-hmm. yeah I think the world is it's a different place and it's changing very rapidly. It's yeah. even different from when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways I feel like it's better, but in other ways I'm scared the past, you know, it feels like 12 years, the racial tension is, is something that you can feel. And yeah. it scares me to, you know, if I'm honest about it, to raise them in this kind of tension. Mm-hmm. When you look at the racial tension, because I know what exactly you're talking about that you are afraid of. But for those who might not know or it doesn't ever have to cross their mind, how would you explain the fear and the scared feeling that you have when you think about your boys? So that the things that I guess that I, the the fear, I know that, just them having brown skin makes them a target. Mm. And I know that. So we, let me think of how to put it in words. Even as young children, if they are in a class and they are the only African-Americans in the class, and if some disturbance happens, they are more likely to be questioned first than the other children that happens and like we've seen that happen mm-hmm. this is not on more than one occasion here's something that i'm scared that i'm scared of and i've talked to them about i tell them when you are with friends you double check and we talk about like when you're older so we start talking about this narrative now when you're older you double check who they're going to have in the car what they're going to have in the car where they're going. Um, and we talk about it at that because I said, you can be with friends and they will be very quick and easy to, if something bad does happen, to not take the blame and you'll be left there and you have to take the blame. And I'm scared for that because I know that that can leave a record. I mean, I worked with um, juvenile offenders, um, boys ages 15 to 24, and they had harsh sentences and things from what we would consider as like minor events and then to hear them tell it and yes I I took it with a grain of salt but a lot of times their offenses were they were left with the blame for something that they hadn't done but they got stuck with the blame and um 
I took, I remember walking away with those lessons thinking if I ever have children, boys in particular, I'm going to share with them a, a different way to walk through this life and to near, um, to navigate the tension that does exist. Another thing that I fear for is, you know, how you let kids like play with squirt guns and Nerf mm-hmm. guns. Mm-hmm. I only allow my kids to play with those in our backyard because I know what it's like for a young African-American boy to be walking down the street with a gun. Yeah. I don't want them to get comfortable with that and then do that in real life. I, I don't even want to take that risk. So something as simple as Nerf guns, a lot of people don't think about, oh, you know, we'll have a Nerf gun fight or whatever, whatever. But for me, that's a big deal mm-hmm. because I know that potentially someone could take them as a target. And I don't, I don't, I don't want them to have to navigate that part of life. Um, I know I can't shelter them yeah. um, for a long time, <laughs> but I I sort of want to just shield them from like the ugly side of life. But unfortunately, I can't I have to be honest with them and tell them, you know, why they can't, you know, walk down the street with a gun or, you know, a gray and black Nerf gun. You can't, you know, no. Um, when they play at the park. If they're playing with predominantly white children, my older boys, I've already told them, if you are bigger and taller, I don't want you pushing, shoving. If someone cries, help them up and then step away. Mm -hmm. Because I've already seen them get yelled at at the park for something they didn't do. Someone just assumed that they did it. So, yeah, that's my everyday, like, living with black sons that happens. And I don't, you know... Unless you walk in my shoes or someone that looks like me or, you know, a darker skinned person, you will never realize that that kind of tension exists on a daily basis. We go in another fear. We go in stores and have people follow us around, especially like smaller shops. Um, We love to like we love antique shops and um, mm-hmm. little curiosity shops and things like that. And we go in them and. People will follow us around because they're afraid that we're going to steal. And then when we don't steal and we actually buy something and the kids tell them a fact about an object they saw in there, they're like, oh, wow, you know, this is different. But that's the world that we live on, live in on a daily basis. So, yeah, those are my fears. Um, another fear is like I teach my kids. They love hoodies. Who doesn't like your own, mm. especially this weather? Um, But I teach them, like, you don't go in any place. You don't walk down the street with your hood on. When you walk into a place, your hood is always off, always. I don't care if your head is freezing, it's off so that people can see all of you and be a little less threatened by you. And they're, um, the older sons are nine and 10, and they may not understand it fully, but I'd rather start the narrative now before a habit is formed than have to then have to have break a habit mm-hmm. and it'd be very painful. Um, I think as just a mom, I've started these conversations very early to to be proactive. Yeah. And to maybe just help my fears a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I think that that's, that's a lot on a mom. And when I said that I knew what you were referring to, I've had these conversations with my black friends that are moms and just 
the lessons that they're teaching their sons as they're driving of like what they need to do, pull your stuff out, put it in your lap, have your hands on the dash, just, and it breaks my heart because I watch them do these things and I see the response from, let's just be frank, white friends. And it's like, well, why are you doing that? Why are you paranoid? And I, I know that words can never, you can never make the perfect sentence. But I know that for me growing up, yes, there was always racial tensions, but maybe I was a little bit more oblivious to it back then. But it used to be that you are going to get hurt if you're in a gang. You're going to get hurt if you do something wrong. But over the last couple of years, I've watched the narrative shift to you're going to get hurt from being in your home. Mm-hmm. You're going to be hurt by playing with a gun with no cap on it. It's a pretend gun, but you took the orange cap off. That's that's going to hurt right. you. You're right. going to be hurt by wearing a hoodie. You're going to be hurt by playing your music too loud. You are going to be hurt. Um, and so that shifts things. And... I can, I don't think it's, when I hear you speak, I don't think that's overly paranoid. I think that that is being realistic. And I think that black moms are historically known for being realistic, which is also, I think, probably (laughs) why, you know, just the whole, well, mom, black moms can be meaner. I've heard from Hispanic friends that their their moms are also Mm -hmm. very similar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I I feel like there's more of a realism of like, listen, this is the world. You are safe here. But the world you're stepping out into is different. And you need to know, you need to be aware. Yeah, I I agree 100%. Um, there's so many things I think, like, oh, I've got to make sure I tell them that. I've got to tell them this. Um, another one I thought of just recently that I'm going to sit down and share with them is that if they ever are arrested, God forbid, but if they are um that they are not to speak unless they have the lawyer or a parent present. Mm. And that is legal and it is okay. And it is the safest thing to do because I've just heard way too many stories and of where police have forced kids to, to agree to something they haven't done. And then Mm. they get a record for a crime they never committed. And again, it was because parents just fail to tell their child you don't have to speak unless you have a lawyer or a parent present and through the age 17 and I said you know I'm gonna tell my boys that because again when your child is a target you don't know when they will be the target Mm. and so the to me the only the way to be prepared is to make sure that I tell them these things ahead of time um you know just this is just a way to navigate our lives in the world that we live in and to, to feel more safe and more secure. We we want what our white counterparts want out of the lives that we live. Success, Mm -hmm. health, happiness, and safety. That's what we all want. It doesn't matter. Those don't hinge on your skin color. We all want those. Mm -hmm. We want it just as much as the person next to us. So yeah. Mm. No, I think that that what's hard is that there are so many different narratives at play. Yeah. And just 
with this podcast, like we, we love narratives, but there are so many different narratives at play. Um, because for the person who feels threatened by a black man, like there's a narrative going on there versus the narrative that we have going on. Right. There's just so many. And I think that this is never about like all black, all white people or all black people, but just about for you, what you found is the thing just from your experiences is the way that you're, you're raising your kids is to keep them informed and prepared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also just, I don't want them to be blindsided. Um, mm. I don't want things to happen to them and them not understand why. Um, I want them to know the why and a way to navigate these challenges because they will be there. Um, the world is not perfect yet. We are, you know, I do feel like we are trying to make a difference, especially this generation is really trying to change the, you know, the narrative of the past, but change has not fully taken place yet. Um, and so I want my kids to be prepared to live in this world. Mm. Um, you, but also to make a difference too, you know, mm-hmm. I think narrative change works because kids are making a difference. The mm-hmm. newer generation is saying we want to change it and we're going to find ways to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> now I'm blown away by just some of the things that I've even been seeing and just how many people are willing to be aware mm-hmm. and how many people are willing to try to understand even right. if they might not fully understand they right. want to try and that makes i mean that's something that i'm really excited about i don't know if it will happen in my lifetime but i'm, I'm hopeful that it will yeah that it will start to shift and change um another area that i did want to talk to you about is for you um you grew up in the church with a father that's a pastor um how do you think that the church can walk alongside its black brothers and sisters as, as we're navigating what this world is right now? So I think it starts with community. And when I say community, like community within the church, but I think it starts with people being willing to reach out and ask questions. And I know that's kind of hard, but I'm like a person. I'm not, um, I like to ask questions. I'm kind of nosy. And I've learned one of the things that I love is meeting new people. And I especially love different cultures, but the way that you learn about different cultures is you go and you just ask questions. And now obviously there's a right way to ask, but most people are really excited to find someone who's interested in their culture that is not from their culture of that Hopefully mm-hmm. I worded that correct. Um, and I think that that narrative actually needs to happen in America. For one thing, we are entirely way too private sometimes. And I think in church, in community, um, don't be scared to walk up to a person who maybe doesn't look like you, their skin color is different and ask, you know, like, hi, do you like, I don't know, it could be do you like this kind of food or what mm-hmm. kind of music do you like? Or, you know, um, I kind of do that with people. I, I want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd be surprised some what genres of music or types of food or mm-hmm. things someone is interested in. And they may be very similar to yours. And I think once you build a relationship based on things, similarities, that allows you to go into the deeper topics. And that, I think that allows a church to see What are the topics, like a leader especially, what are the topics that we might need to start covering in our church? Um, 
you know, how, you know, how can I, I think uh, you said it earlier, we like to identify with others Mm -hmm. um, and no one likes to feel isolated. And I think a lot of times in black brothers and sisters in churches feel slightly isolated from Mm -hmm. their other brothers and sisters um, in church because there's not true community made because there's no way to, no one ever asks about their culture or what are the things that you like. Um, And if you start doing that, that breaks down barriers, like huge Mm. barriers. And that allows, it also creates an environment for people to feel comfortable to talk about the things that they don't like. Mm. And pastors play a huge part in making the environment comfortable for both groups or, you know, however many types of ethnicities are in your church. Mm -hmm. Pastors play a huge part in making that environment possible for their members. And I think, Honestly, change has to happen at the top. Yeah. And it flows down through the top. So if you're if if there's a pastor, he needs to be willing to to address it. You hear you see something on the news and it disturbs you, go talk to a black member in your church and see their take and maybe bring it before the congregation to talk about it. Have a, a open type of um church service and just talk about it and and it could be like have a panel and, and have people tell their side of stories and things. Mm-hmm. I, these are ways, I mean, there's no easy way sometimes to, 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 to come into the space where you talk about the hard things. So sometimes they just have to be done, Yeah. but they have to start from the top. No, I, I agree. I think I like what, with the direction that you were saying, because I think that, yes, it is hard to ask questions like what you were saying, I, I don't think we're nosy. I think we're inquisitive. <laughs> At least I've been called very inquisitive. I love asking I questions. I like that term better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I default to wanting to understand. And maybe it's a piece of it is like my professional background. But then also, I, I think I've always kind of just been aware of the fact that we all see things different. Like prime example is me and my sister grew up together in the same, by the, raised by the same people. But we can recall an event different like I can say do you remember when we went here 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 do you remember that and like oh no but that's not how I perceived it and so if that's what happens with biological like that's going to happen in the church and I think that that's something that I long for is for the church to be able to do reconciliation and do life and diversity really well Mm -hmm. because I think that not only is it our call but I think it's our job Like, I think that if we can get really good at being people of peace, of being people that just give grace and people that are willing to have hard conversations, then that is a game changer. Mm -hmm. Because I understand that I think that sometimes people see the news and they get overwhelmed instantly. And and I, I think we have so much information and sometimes the way media presents things, but if you're seeing all these stories, you get super overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. You're overwhelmed by the, the amount and like, what can I do? Right. And I think what you can do is just what you said is, is move towards somebody, mm-hmm. get to know them. Mm-hmm. And then when you're in relationship with them, dare yourself to, to know that you might not understand what it's like from their perspective. If there's a story about a kid in a hoodie dying your perspective on it might not be the same as a black mother and it would behoove you 
to ask questions, but then also to do it in a way of of acknowledging that they're hurting and lamenting with them. Because I think that those are so many of the key things that Mm -hmm. are missing is that we don't dare to take our own lens Mm -hmm. off. Because I'm not a black mom, but I can imagine what it would feel like, but I still need to acknowledge that they're hurting lament with them i mm-hmm. still like there's still so many things that that i can even do in that right. i i just think that sometimes um it's kind of hard to step out of your mm-hmm. you know take off your lens and step out of your box mm-hmm. it's kind of scary it's um for one thing it's admitting that the opinion you held all the time may not be as right as you want to think it is but at the same time i think if you do that you will find so much joy and and a better fellowship with those in community around you mm-hmm. if you're willing to do that um you know for me as a black woman i've had to take off my glasses and sometimes step into the world where it's not so comfortable for me of the white person's world and realize like oh they just didn't see it like i did and mm-hmm you know, it could be something they said. And I have to realize that it wasn't coming from maybe such a, a hurtful place as it felt to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that's not easy to do. Um, but that it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. And so we just, that has to happen more. And it has to, again, like I said, it really has to happen from the top in church. I'll tell you something that just was powerful to me and my husband. Um, we attend the city church campus and a big, big deal for us was they acknowledged, um, Martin Luther King day through a video. And, um, we were watching the video and I looked at my husband and we looked at each other and we tears were running down our eyes because we went in a space and they acknowledged a leader in our community. Mm. And we were, um, it's a mixed congregation and it was such a joy to realize that we are not only thankful for him, but other people are. And I don't think sometimes people don't realize how important that is. That for us, it meant we were acknowledged. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I just want to say to maybe my white counterparts, sometimes the black person next to you just wants to, they just want their struggle Mm -hmm. in life to be acknowledged by you. Nothing else but that. Mm-hmm. just acknowledgement and as as a person who attends church regularly i want my church to to acknowledge that as well mm-hmm. that sometimes for us going to church and being a minority can be a struggle and mm-hmm. we we want acknowledgement there mm-hmm. that you kind of know like yeah if i went in a church if i went to an all-black church i might be like oh you know mm-hmm. um so we may sometimes feel that yeah. and just more empathy, mm. the ability to reach out and try to feel what someone else is feeling. Yeah. No. And I, that's a, that is a godly characteristic, something that the church should just have on full blast. Cause mm-hmm. sometimes we don't. And I think we just don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, there's no like manual that shows us exactly how to do it. And mm-hmm. so I think that's why sometimes it's a struggle, but you know, um, for me, even though I'm a black woman, I remember I struggled to sometimes understand 
um, like inner city behavior and just patterns. And I was like, I do not understand this. Like if you do a good thing, it's going to make a good thing. And so for me, I really struggled with empathy there. And it wasn't until I went and served in it Mm. that I gained new insight and was able to find empathy for the person struggling next to me. But that took me reaching out and going out of my comfortable box. Mm -hmm. And I was able to see what I feel God wanted me to see and to learn. And I think that actually has to happen in the church, too. Yeah. No, that's interesting that you said that, because I think something that I oftentimes have to emphasize in counseling with my clients is that me and you can sit down and we can plan. We can problem solve. I can give you all the coping skills. But sometimes... We won't know until you put it to the test. And so that might mean that the next step for you is to do it. Like, and again, like, you don't ever want to push. I don't ever want to push my clients further than they're willing to go. Like, and I'm not saying that for like the listeners, like, I'm not trying to push you further than you're willing to go. (laughs) But sometimes you don't know until you're actually in it. And until you, so if, just like what you were saying, if you find yourself having like a reaction to those that are homeless or having a reaction to those in the inner city or having a reaction to Hispanic or any group, Mm -hmm. yes, do the inner work of figuring out what that's about, but you won't really, sometimes we can't really know what's really going on Mm -hmm. until you step towards. And just what you were saying, like that makes complete sense that like when you started serving and then the blinders were taken off Mm -hmm. and you understand that there's another narrative going Mm -hmm. on here that from my perspective and my lens, this doesn't make sense. But now that I'm getting to know people and understanding their stories and then seeing that we're not all that different. I think me even serving in like, I did a lot of serving with um, homeless that I did not, it just did not make sense to me like how a person could get stuck Mm -hmm. and then working and getting to know people and hearing their stories and then learning like, Oh my goodness. Like there's so many more steps than just get a job. There's so many more steps than just get an apartment that I was not aware of because I was looking through my growing up middle-class lens. And so I think that what you just broke down is, is super powerful. And I do, I do want to thank you so much for coming today and sharing. I feel like I could talk to you for forever. You're so easy to talk to. Um, but just to close, like, what would your challenge be just as a African-American woman that's raising boys? What was your challenge be to the listeners? To the listeners? Um, I thought about this. Um, and if you're in Savannah, but it, it doesn't matter wherever you are, especially like in the United States, find a local civil rights museum and go visit that museum. It will give you insight without having to talk to a stranger. Mm-hmm. into what it was like to live in a different time. Um, and a lot of times, if you go into the museums, um, they, they're they even talking about civil rights today and the struggles that are still going on. But I encourage you to go in, listen to the stories, um, read the plaques on the wall, read someone's story who's like you and read someone's story who is not like you. I promise that you will walk away with greater understanding of the world and the people around you. Um, yeah, that's my challenge. I Savannah has a really great one. Mm-hmm. Um, go visit it. Go learn something new. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. 
your your takeaway is is go learn. I think that along with that, um, there's a walking tour that's also really great. And I've even just started reading the different plaques that mm-hmm. are on the statues in mm-hmm. Savannah. But go educate yourself about your city yeah. and read books yeah. and do the things that interest you. But yeah. Yeah. And that. that way you're learning about your neighbors. Mm-hmm. You're learning about the people who live around you. You're learning about the people, probably some who you go to church with. Yeah. yeah. No, I love yeah. that. Thank you so much uh-huh. for coming and, and talking and being so vulnerable and honest. I that, That's always an honor to me. So I appreciate you. Yeah. Well, thank you um, for having me. Of course. <laughs> and li- listeners, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.